Kiora, Kofus Metaho, Namaikitafari, welcome to the house. It was a tumultuous week at Parliament this week, with one now former minister flouting the basic rules of Cabinet, and before that, a brief and surreal sortie into what the Americans call culture wars. And even if you were paying attention, you might not have noticed that besides all of that, Parliament kept on plodding along and doing its day job, and then some. This week, MPs spent a couple of days working under urgency, debating bills in the morning, and on Wednesday, until midnight. The minister responsible for the government's parliamentary agenda, Grant Robertson, outlined why it was to Johnny Blades at the beginning of the week. So we lost about 15 hours um, at the start of the year, and so we do need to make that back up, and that's essentially what this is about. Is this about getting in some bills so that they can go through their natural cycle before everything wraps up for the election? Certainly, you know, we've got a number of things where we do want to be getting on with uh, the work and in order to get it off to select committee and get it back before the House rises, we're steadily running out of time for that. And so, yeah, there is definitely a desire to get some first readings done, have them in front of the select committees as soon as we can. So partly catch up and partly priming the pump for the final five months of this parliament. Within the catch-up part, Parliament finalised 10 new laws this week, and Johnny will run you through the crucial details in a moment. What I want to talk about are the brand new bills, the new ideas for laws, offered up for comment with a first reading. There were eight of them, and most are up for consideration now by a select committee. In case you want to stick your own oar in, here's a very brief taster. Madam Speaker, under this proposal, the Governor-General will have the power to make orders in Council on the recommendation of the relevant Minister to exempt, modify or extend provisions of legislation that is specified in the Bill. The Severe Weather Emergency Recovery Legislation Bill applies lessons from Christchurch and Kaikoura to the current rebuild. Being urgent, the Select Committee process is highly truncated and the Bill is expected to be passed by Parliament by the end of next week with general agreement from most parties. Mr Speaker. The Honourable Crown Robertson. I move that the appropriation 2021-22 confirmation and validation bill be now read a first time. The second bill is an annual set piece. Crucial, but nothing to do with policy. It's the butt-end of the annual accounting process where Parliament signs off the government spending from a budget two years ago. The next two bills are focused on aspects of education. One on adjustments to Pacific and Māori scholarships, and the other on things like school governance frameworks for wānanga, police vetting of non-teaching staff, and school board eligibility criteria. On that, here's the Minister of Education, Jan Tanetti. Concerns have been raised during the recent board election processes about the suitability of some members of the public who have stood for election. In response, the Ministry of Education undertook a review of the current eligibility requirements for school board members to consider whether they are fit for purpose. The review found that the current requirements do not adequately reflect the role that a school board member has in providing for a school to be physically and emotionally safe place for students and staff. I can almost hear you asking, why are there two different bills on education? Why not just lump it all in together? Well, it's a reasonable question. The answer is, Parliament's rules. They demand that bills must be about just one thing, or at least they must flow from a unified policy objective. So you can't just collect everything you want to do in the area of, say, agriculture into a mega bill and call it the everything agricultural mega bill. If you do, the Speaker will reject it and send you back to split it up and try again. 
Yeah, the Speaker really is the boss of Parliament. I move that the Immigration Mass Arrivals Amendment Bill be now read a first time. I've seen the Immigration Mass Arrivals Amendment Bill portrayed as a new power, allowing the detention of mass arrival asylum seekers, boat people. It isn't. That ability was actually created more than a decade ago. This bill will adjust three particular aspects of that law. Particularly of note is this one. Immigration New Zealand and the courts currently have only 96 hours from the point at which an immigration officer makes a decision on an application for entry permission and a visa, both to apply for a group warrant of commitment and for the application to be decided. Uh, in the government's view, this is not enough time for migrants to receive legal advice or to be meaningfully represented in court, particularly if we deal with a large event. The bill proposes to extend that deadline to seven days to make that more possible. This bill heralds a new approach, and namely, it supports on-demand public transport services. The Land Transport Management Regulation of Public Transport Amendment Bill was quite contentious, and it wasn't surprising. After all, the government were proposing to change a law that was brought in by the national-led government a few years ago. The previous bill required local councils to ask for tenders from transport providers for public transport, and this one also gives councils the option to do it themselves. One particular exchange in the debate was notable, just in case you didn't realise you were in an election year. It was in speeches first from National MP Matt Ducey, and in response from Green MP Chloe Swarbrick. It was, some would say, very meta. But they can't help themselves, because for this government, it is always ideological. Right. It is always ideology that's, that's driving them. We are all ideological. That's the point. We all have ideologies and values that underpin the policies that we put forward because everything that we do in this place is about trade-offs and about whose side we stand on and about the kinds of outcomes that we want for society. Two to go. Firstly, a generally approved change for some of the most deserving amongst us, visual artists. What this bill does is make sure that uh, visual artists are financially recognised when their work is on sold um, in the secondary market in particular circumstances. So if it's being sold by art market professionals, that's professional auctioneers um, or art dealers, or if it's being bought or sold um, in publicly funded galleries and museums. And in such cases, what we're saying is that we think a 5% royalty. And the final bill that was being proposed by the government for consideration was for a change that has been waiting quite a while. Just ask Emily Henderson. 87 years, Mr Speaker. 87 years this policy has been in place. The traditional treatment of the potential payment of child support to someone on a single parent benefit has been seen as pretty unfair. It's been referred to as a parent tax, and this bill will get rid of that. Carmel Cipollone. Passing on child support will mean that from the 1st of July 2023, approximately 41,550 sole parent families will have more money in their pockets. These families will gain overall by an average of $47 per week, with a median gain of $20 per week. And those were this week's new bills. It's always worth knowing which bills are plodding up the road. In case you feel inclined to offer some comment, some expertise or even some experience to help a select committee polish them up into something useful. But there were also bills at the other end of the road, and with them, here's Johnny Blades. At the risk of putting you back to sleep, let's start with a new law on tax. 
The Taxation Annual Rates for 2022-23 Platform Economy and Remedial Matters Bill No. 2 has two main functions to it. The first is to confirm the annual rates of taxation for the latest year, which are unchanged from the prior year. And the second is a bunch of tweaks to the tax code, which the government says improve outcomes for business and taxpayers. This includes collecting GST on accommodation and transportation services provided through electronic marketplaces, as the Minister of Revenue, David Parker, explained. Uh, when consumers contract for services in uh, using these platform apps, they're actually buying services uh, from New Zealand service providers. Uh, the services are delivered in New Zealand. They're using accommodation or taxi-like services uh, in New Zealand. And yet, because they can construct their contract in a way which uh, notionally at law is a contract in an overseas jurisdiction, they can effectively avoid the effect of GST. That's unfair to the businesses that can't do that. Uh, and the Hospitality Association made strong submissions to the Select Committee on behalf of their many hundreds, if not thousands, of members that it's wrong that their members return GST, uh, and yet people selling through likes of Airbnb can evade GST. Similarly, I know that the Taxi Federation thinks it's unfair that their members uh, selling services through taxi firms return GST, whereas uh, those through the likes of Uber don't. Now, while the government described the tax bill as being about equity of treatment and fairness, National's Nicola Willis called it just another assault on New Zealanders' wallets. We have had a long-standing convention that has been observed by all parties in Parliament that if a business takes less than $60,000 in income for services or sales in a financial year, then that business is exempt from having to pay GST. Now, that long-standing convention is one that we on this side of the House think should be adhered to. But on the other side of the House, what they've now said is, well, that only applies if you're in an old-fashioned business. But if you're actually running a 2023 business that uses technology, that uses a digital platform for your sales, then we think we've found a new excuse to tax you more. And in fact, what this bill says is if you are using a digital platform to reach your customers, whether you're the New Zealand business, Zoomi, whether you are Airbnb, whether you are Deliveryzy, if you are using technology, God forbid, then we will tax you. The bills being passed this week were an array of rats and mice, the big and small, sometimes quite specifically focused laws that make small but important changes. One of them was the Foreign Affairs Consular Loans Amendment Bill. The bill's necessary to ensure that government has the ongoing ability to issue loans to New Zealand citizens and permanent residents in accordance with the New Zealand consular functions. As Labour MP Duncan Webb explained, the need for ongoing provision of consular loans grew significantly in the last three years, a period of unusually high demand for consular assistance caused by the pandemic. This doesn't mean that it's a free-for-all, but that specific criteria must be met before a consular loan can be considered. That includes that the person is in distress, exceptional circumstances exist, and lending money would provide short-term assistance consistent with New Zealand's consular functions. A third reading was also completed for a bill that should help reduce delays in coroner's findings following a death. 
The MP behind the coroner's amendment bill, the Minister for Courts, Rino Tirakatne, noted the coronial system is under pressure. The bill makes some targeted amendments to the Coroner's Act. These are intended to reduce the time it takes for certain types of cases to move through the coronial process and free up more coroner's time to work on reducing the number of active coronial cases. Mr Speaker, the bill will establish the new judicial position of associate coroner and associate coroners will be able to exercise all the functions, powers and duties of a coroner except for deciding that an inquest is necessary or holding inquests. This will help to free up coroners so they can work on more complex cases. Another bill to finish its remaining stages was the Digital Identity Services Trust Framework Bill, which will establish the legal basis for a statutory trust framework for digital ID services. In other words, those digital tools, products and services that allow the collection and sharing of information when authorised by those who own the information. For Nationals' Judith Collins, such a bill is long overdue given how crucial it is to have a trust framework around identity in the digital age. We know that there are people who worry about what might be happening to their identity and what could be, you know, and yet still go on to things like Facebook and other platforms and go into very dodgy platforms where they end up with conspiracy theories. Um, But it is important that people have control over their own identity, their own uh, information, but it is going to be absolutely crucial for the provision of government services in particular that people can have trust in the digitisation of um, their information and to be able to rely on it. The bill got widespread support in the House, although Chloe Swarbrick of the Greens pointed out that there is scope to tweak its provisions in the not-too-distant future to uh, have this review after two years to ascertain whether it should be that the Digital Identity Agency becomes its own standalone Crown entity because, of course, it's currently contained within uh, DIA. And that did raise the spectre of some concern uh, for some of those stakeholders. And I think when Internet New Zealand and the Council of Civil Liberties is raising those concerns, that they are things that should be paid due notice to. So once again, what we're talking about here is a welcome step in the right direction, but it is an opt-in accreditation framework for digital identity. It doesn't grapple with those far bigger issues of uh, one's rights online, of one's digital footprint and the right to be forgotten, for example. Of the other bills that passed their remaining stages this week were a couple of crime-related ones. The Criminal Activity Intervention Legislation Bill and the Criminal Proceeds Recovery Amendment Bill. And you've been listening to The House, Ite Fokoronga Kwe Ki Te Fori, a programme made with funding from Parliament. Kia pai tōra.